Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Kia ora everyone and welcome along to the podcast. I'm glad you could join me today as we get to speak with Ben Reed about artificial intelligence. We talk about what it is, what it promises to be, and the implications on our society both today and in the future. I really enjoyed my chat with Ben as we also talked about his background and where he's from. If you enjoy this episode, then check out some of the earlier ones as well, because there's more than 125 in the back catalog now. And what we're trying to do with Seeds is go a bit deeper with people and unpack their lives and what it is that matters to them and why they do what they do. Now let's get straight into this interview with Ben. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Ben Reed, who is the Executive Director of the AI Forum of New Zealand. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, Yeah, it's great to have you here. And we've known each other a couple of years now, actually. So um, it's great to have you on the podcast. And I've been kind of watching AI emerging (laughs) more than um, previously the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, sort of the term artificial intelligence, you know, always has, it's overlaid with many different perceptions, many different meanings. Um, and it's certainly, you know, moved into the mainstream more um, over the last few years. Um, hopefully we've sort of played a little part in that um, at the AI forum. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the, as I say, many people, people come to it with many different views on, on, on what it is. And, you know, a few years ago, the conversation was very much around, you know, some of the negative impacts. And so, you know, the robot's going to take all our jobs, you know, and then you had Elon Musk going on about sort of super intelligence uh, taking over the world, the singularity. Um, yep. And, you know, I think certainly for me, it's been a good voyage of discovery to get deeper into the reality of it and, you know, what it actually is right here. And, mm. you know, the, it's really uh, advanced maths in many ways um, and, and computation. And so, you know, we're the work we're doing has, you know, continued to just hopefully improve public understanding um, here in New Zealand, but also to, you know, identify the real opportunities from AI, um, Mm -hmm. as well as the challenges, you know, so, you know, it does have a lot of um, uh, potential impacts on on our society. Yeah, well, let's, let's dive into that. And I know that this report has just come out towards our intelligent future, um, which I've had a look through. There's a lot of content there. There There's a lot of content, (laughs) took us a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'd love to find out more about this. But on this show, I think, you know, what I like to do is talk about people in terms of their journey as well. Okay, because it's it's I think it's more fun to to talk about what you're doing today by understanding your background and and what's shaped you into who you are. Okay. So um, if we could start just by telling us a little bit about your background and, and you know, where you grew up, what, what were you like <laughs> as a child, for example? Well, I can tell you that. I've got to say, I, I actually, um, I'm one of those folks who's always looking forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people ask me where I come from, I sort of prefer to talk about where I'm going to. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just to, um, to answer your question, uh, I, I strangely, um, I was born in Sierra Leone, um, oh. all places. So my my dad had a, um, a university job out there just after they got married. My parents, and uh, and so it, I don't remember it. I was sort of like six months when I moved out. But it's one right. of those interesting things you always have to so put your on your entry card right? <laughs> into New Zealand. Yeah, it's like where were you born? I was free town. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I grew up in the the UK. You can tell from the accent. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, just down in the West Country on Dartmoor there. And uh, was your father's job like? What, why had he gone to see? Oh, his, like, is he had at the time he was a, a geology um, 
lecturer okay. uh, at paleontology and you know he went on oh. to a career in um uh, marine biology so um hmm. he sort of knows quite a bit about ocean ecosystems um, uh-huh. still publishing in his uh, 70s at the moment yeah wow that's pretty cool yeah yeah so so he went to Sierra Leone you were born there uh but yeah so I grew up in uh England um mm-hmm. and then lived uh sort of left home left university in Oxford uh lived in London for a while up to Edinburgh mm-hmm. uh met my other half Anna um mm. in Edinburgh and then we moved out here uh, with two two young kids then and we've got three now um and three daughters uh, and Maya uh, just left home um early this year so yeah it's uh, totally at the other other end of of the uh child rearing tunnel <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so um but just that childhood growing up you know your father's uh, involved in university and studying and and oh, he was like a that. scientist yeah he was a yeah. scientist yeah so was there kind of an expectation that you were going to be going to university or no, or was uh, it a poss- possibly i think i've always just done my own thing right um yeah ask my parents always <laughs> 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 uh, i was actually um the aim i was very musical um uh, as a as a kid, mm-hmm. um, sort of composed a lot, played uh, piano and bassoon of all instruments. Hmm. Um, and how do you get into playing bassoon? Is it a uh, that's a good good question? So I played the piano, and then um, I went to this uh, high school where everybody picked an instrument, and I sort of had to be different. So right, <laughs> did they need that instrument? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was brilliant. The highlight of that was um, playing a concert uh, in Exeter. Um, and we had uh, eight bassoons and a contrabassoon on stage, all playing Colonel Bogey, if you know that. Uh, it was oh. kind of great. <laughs> wow. We're here in New Zealand, but you grew up over there. Like, when did you first hear about New Zealand? How well, did it come onto your radar? Well, that's really interesting because um, actually, both of both Anne and I are, are her dad was an academic as well. And um, interesting, we found this out, but both of our dads went for jobs out here when we were teenagers oh. um, and uh, and didn't happen. Um, but we'd obviously done a bit of thought thought experiment around it, I think. Yeah. Right. Because um, oh, so what he was talking about, maybe we'll move to New Zealand. So yeah, yeah, would have yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. did the job interview thing and, yeah. and uh, came over. And um, and then we were, as I say, we I, I did a bit of OE um, in my 20s and sort of uh, came through uh new zealand and you know really enjoyed south island literally only spent about um half a day in christchurch in the end i think right uh, but you know really felt like it had a um a uh, you know had a had a good vibe about the place and then you know a few years later we were living in central edinburgh mm-hmm. a lot of commuting a lot of stairs um <laughs> and it's yeah, dark just, in the winter <laughs> yeah, it is it's very dark very dark and and uh yeah i i think we um we both thought, yeah, let's go and uh, uh, take a risk, and and you know, everything worked out. Wow, that's interesting. It's always fascinating, isn't it? Like rather than Canada or Australia or whatever, that you, that you had those associations yeah, with New Zealand. I'm quite a rational person, so we did go through a bit of a scoring process, right? Um, and but it came, you know, we were in Scotland. We thought that Australia would be too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's the the, uh, the Bella Connolly joke about all the Scots like coming to Ed- to Dunedin, and you know because it's uh, it's, it's a little bit hot, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, Canada was an option, um, uh, but yeah, no, it, New Zealand had everything going for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow! So when did you arrive in New Zealand? Then, uh, gosh, like two thousand, yeah, fifteen years now, two thousand four. Okay. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I started. So <laughs> we arrived. Um, so the current mayor, Leanne Delsey, was uh, immigration minister at the time. Um, and we were just, I literally was just about to go and get my medical done and put the residency application in. And then they just shut down the immigration system <laughs> because uh, there are too many taxi drivers with sort of three degrees or something. Um, and, uh, and so that sort of put a pause on things, but we'd already started selling houses and, okay. um, and so uh, house, yeah, single. Um, and so, yeah, we just jumped on a plane and, and came in on, you know, on a visitor visa, um, and got a bit of a grilling and, you know, we were, well, we're just coming to see what it might be like to live here. You know? <laughs> um, and yeah, work out. I mean, I had, um, I was a software architect, um, at the time and so the, mm -hmm. those skills were pretty in demand and uh, I sort of yeah took a job with um, HP as was they had a they still have a software development center here and, uh -huh. yeah yeah and what was the transition like from having uh, like I've moved country a couple times and sometimes you have an ideal version of the country that you're going to um, how was it in reality compared to what you thought it would be um, I think there's I think most you know people coming from more densely populated northern hemisphere economies mm -hmm. or um i think that the the impact of new zealand's remoteness the low population mm. uh, and density um and you know that just has impacts in terms of cost of living um you know limited a, a number of things that you can do um uh, and you know and a lack of media lack of um you know cultural activities i think was was a an impression at the time. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, I was, you know, I'd gone from having a, a, you know, two and a half hour sitting in a car on a motorway uh, experience in a, in a job, you know, where I was on a, I was on a plane to Amsterdam or Dublin or London every week, um, right? And uh, to basically riding my bike to work. So I was really really happy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it took uh, Anna and the kids took a little a little while to settle in. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but Christchurch was was very welcoming. Um, and you know especially as soon as the the kids get sort of settled into kindy and school right um, you know life just barrels on and you just get stuck into it it's so, a natural um ecosystem of relationships all of a sudden right <laughs> absolutely um and and you know the outdoor uh lifestyle really suits us um and so the ability to just get out in the countryside enjoy you know the beaches and the hills and mm -hmm. um and you know and the other thing my my impression at the time so when we got here Maya was three holly was one um and there was a a, a kid's playground on every street corner was my impression right <laughs> Christchurch. so it's just like the most amazing uh city to to bring up yeah young people yeah mm -hmm. yeah and it has continued to be um you know this the school system here is pretty pretty damn good um mm -hmm. and you know and especially you know we've we've seen everybody come through earthquakes you know sort of that's a, a major episode in life isn't it in our lives here and um and then my, my um the girls have all been to Kashmir high and um you know that that was really severely affected by the shootings this year and i i think you know the children at, at the school that have um, have just been magnificent um, mm. and just being immensely proud of how um, all the children in Christchurch, all the young people really um, set an example, you know, um, of how to handle that kind of grief. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's been, so this is definitely home for you now. I get the sense. Um, well, as I said, yeah, yeah it, it is absolutely. Um, but I, I'm quite a rootless 
person so i'm always on to the next next thing and next place so um, right you know next we, project yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, my, I would say home is in the future for me. I'm, right. I'm going somewhere. I'm not really coming yeah. from somewhere. So I forced <laughs> you to look in the past. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so you get here and you you were involved in software and yeah. and doing that type of thing. Yeah, I, I I've done. I, I sort of fell out. Of, I, I sort of landed in London um, in just right at the beginning of the internet. Uh, so it's 1994. Um, and I was sort of just doing a few freelance jobs, um, taught myself to, uh, I'd, I'd done a bit of coding as, um, when I was younger, but I, I sort of taught myself to code um, and, uh, you know, went, just went through the birth of the internet, was at the launch of the first cyber cafe in London, mm. saw how the web was developing um, and, and then, you know, went through a, a number of, um, you know, contract roles um, mm-hmm. uh, in the early days there uh, and, and quite entrepreneurial. So I've always sort of had, startup dna really um mm. and and then when i arrived in christchurch sort of i spent four years you know working um uh, for a corporate but then yeah went straight back out into entrepreneurial land after that mm, right and and so just i guess bring us up to speed in terms of what the next steps were because i know you've been involved in canterbury angels as well right so I, i've been running um, my consulting firm mimia um which has had a number of guises um, in, gosh, nearly coming up 12 years. Um, and, you know, with, with that firm, we've incubated um, software as a service startups. Mm-hmm. Um, we've uh, done a whole bunch of outsourced software development. Um, and then after the earthquakes, um, scaled it down. Um, and it's really just been around consulting, you know, putting um, small teams together, consult on uh tech strategy um mm-hmm. for you know organizations from from government right through to corporates mm-hmm. um uh and in technology firms themselves mm-hmm. um and then uh, also for technology firms you know sort of business strategy of you know how do you grow a tech firm um out of uh, you know Christchurch New Zealand and and take it international mm-hmm. yeah. mm. so without giving too much away what how do you grow a tech firm and take it <laughs> are there any easy tips that no, people not don't? easy <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I, I was on the committee um, of Canterbury Tech uh, so we've just this is, we're recording this today after the tech summit um, yeah. in Christchurch and you know that was uh, I, I love going along to that event every year because it's really just a celebration of um, you know th- this quite hidden community, um, mm-hmm. very very uh, vibrant and, and active community. But I, th- I don't think, you know, most of Christchurch actually knows, you know, the, the number of people employed in, mm-hmm. in tech and software um, uh, in our city. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it, it, by virtue of the fact that we're remote, so it's not like Wellington, where you know a lot of the folks working in tech are focused on selling to government. In Auckland, you've got all the head offices, the corporates, and so you know they've all got big, you know, IT departments and so mm. on. But there aren't really any, um, you know, there, there's a few, but not not a sizable number of head offices in Christchurch. So the only real um, option for people wanting to build a, a you know, a, a sizable technology business here is to get offshore and and export, mm. um, and you know, and that's uh, it's difficult to get. To escape velocity um, mm. with that, and uh, you know, but at the tech summit yesterday, we had some examples, and you know, probably the shining example here is Sequent, mm. um, who are have grown, you know, grown from Christchurch. I think he was saying that they're up to about four hundred staff uh, all around the world now. You know, from uh, they've bought some companies in Canada, uh, they've got people in South Africa, um, Kazakhstan. I think they've, mm. they've got staff, and so um, doing, you know, re- and really. Um, amazingly smart technology but also 
um, a, you know, a strategic view on what options do we need to build out for ourselves mm. um, you know, now? To, what, what do we need to invest in now to buy the option to play in that space in five years' time or 10 years' time? You know, often it, it does end up in, in an acquisition. Um, and, you know, we should celebrate that, right? So that's, you know, entrepreneurs have taken a lot of risk um, and, you know, sold, built a company up and sold it uh, to go to the next stage. And, and in many cases, that company stays here because it's actually pretty, you know, there's a there's a deep pool of software talent here. It's a great um, place to live. And so there's, you know, it's quite an attractive destination for um, people to, to move to, mm. um, you know, to work in high tech and to enjoy all the benefits of, um, of living in Christchurch. Mm. Um, you know, so, and then you've got also, you know, international companies like Trimble, for example, you know, really forming the bedrock of our, you know, local tech ecosystem. So, I, I you know, I'm very optimistic about our local uh, tech sector. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's hard, um, especially in, and so that's the, you were saying about the angel investment group. Um, and that's really something that has been missing in Canterbury mm-hmm. for quite a long time. Um, uh, and, uh, <laughs> about four, four or five years ago, I, I was at a, talking at a conference in Auckland with, and Dave Moskowitz, who was one of the founders of Angel HQ in, um, uh, in, in Wellington, um, and we were just, you know, why isn't there an angel group in Christchurch? And mm-hmm. Dave, of course, oh, we, you set one up. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, good on. Um, and so, you know, a group of us, uh, sort of Jeff Brash, um, uh, we've got Paul Claridge as the chair at the moment, um, mm-hmm. you know, a core group of, of um, people that have been involved in the tech sector here mm-hmm. um, have, uh, you know, we, we put the group together. There's a lot of support from the National Angel Association. And as much as, you know, capital investment, but but also, you know, advice somewhere to go um, for a, a steer on, you know, so if you're a startup entrepreneur mm. um, and you're, you know, you need to grow your business and, you know, looking at raising capital, then, you know, the Canterbury Angels Group is there to, um, you know, to, to connect you and to, you know, support along the way. Mm. Uh, and actually the, the amount of startup activity um, in that real early stage, I think is it, bubbling away um, here, you know, um, the work that uh, Marion Johnson Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is doing with Ministry of Awesome, um, mm-hmm. and they've moved into the Teokaka uh, Centre now at Ara. Um, I think every startup in the city seems to be based out of there now. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, and then uh, Rachel Wright's been building up U- University of Canterbury Entrepreneurs, and mm. you know a number of other uh, programs around town. Yeah, it, I agree with you completely. And you know, we were literally we saw each other yesterday at yep. the summit, and there was hundreds of people wasn't there yeah. you know it was a it was a massive thing and i actually talked to several people who'd flown in from auckland or from wellington yeah. just to see what it was yeah. and they were oh, it's going, unique in the country um yeah. it's a it's a real celebration of the technology business mm. i think um and you know i i don't think we should be proud of that yeah no i agree and what we'll do in the show notes we'll put some links to like canterbury tech and because some people are listening might not know yeah. a, about it i actually interviewed david carter about a year and a Good. bit ago so i actually just bumped into him about two hours ago so. oh, okay <laughs> yeah. yeah right so yeah there's been quite a few and obviously because it is such a big part of christchurch I've talked to a number of different yeah. people. Uh, I'm just thinking like Rob Lindemann at the Hit Lab. Yeah. He's been yeah. on talking about, you know, the future of um, different technologies and things. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's certainly I see it a lot in terms of entrepreneurs walking through the door needing startup advice. Yeah. It's a big part of the of the scene. It, yeah. it is a big part. I, I think um, it, it's it's been hard 
you know, for the city, I think after the earthquakes, um, and I know a number of businesses that actually just moved out. Um, and so I think there's, uh, you know, probably a five year gap in many ways where, you know, people were just, the people that stayed were focused on, you know, more important things, just basically keeping a house, mm-hmm. a roof over their heads um, mm-hmm. and, you know, really not taking much risk in terms of, uh, uh, you know, employing too many staff. Just it was a very yeah. um, you know, difficult environment. Hunker and so down it, and survive, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think what that's done is there's a cohort um, of startups that would have been starting up around nine years ago mm. that just uh, isn't there here. And so, you know, and they would be hitting their straps you know, in the last few years and starting to, you know, really expand overseas. So I think, you know, we've got uh, companies like Sequin have been around, you know, 15 years, I think more, longer than 15 years. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that that sort of decade old startup, there aren't that many, but then we have just this, this green shoots mm. of lots of, um, you know, uh, you know, vibrant energy that's this, and a lot of, a lot more young people seem, in my impression is a lot more young people here are, gravitating towards that entrepreneurial mm. uh, career um, and you know I hope we can retain them um, and you know the, the first startup you do doesn't succeed the second one uh, you know I can count quite a number of fingers here <laughs> that I've been involved in um, what they it, don't all succeed right no, away <laughs> no that's, that is a, definitely a game of probability uh, um, and you know I, it, it's if we can retain the people that get the experience of maybe two three failures under their belt i mean we talk about failures learn you know learning what it looks like and learning from uh, you know what 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 went um what didn't go to plan mm. and then bringing that experience and humility i think into the next um uh the next startup so if we can you know retain people like that and create a supportive ecosystem around mm. um then and i think that that's really what builds the capability yeah Oh, that's great. So you'd been involved in IT and the internet when it was just the brand new thing. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about AI and sort of what you're doing now, and but just casting your mind back to yeah. 1994 or whatever. Um, what over the years when you think about AI, what had you been your understanding of it way back then? Oh gosh. So I, I'm an avid reader of science fiction. So mm. um, you know, I, I, I've been reading sort of books like Neuromancer. Probably my favorite sci-fi book of all time is Accelerando by Charles Stross, which was, you know, I think written in about 2005, 2006, and sort of details this acceleration of technology change right. out, way out in, you know, into centuries away from now. Yeah. Um, and it's a sort of mad ride along the way. Um, but he sort of chronicles the, the path to, um, you know, non-machine intelligence, uh, you know, really well. Uh, obviously, we've grown up. Um, <laughs> the story I do always tell actually is when I was like about eight, six, seven years old, eight years old, um, I went to a friend's birthday party and we went to see the Empire Strikes Back. Right. Um, and I was a sort of rural kid, you know, living in, in on the edge of Dartmoor in the UK and <laughs> walk into this big cinema just as the film started where right? I got there a bit late and the, all the snow walkers are coming through and there's lasers and yeah. everything. And uh, I was just like mind blown with the whole thing. And I sort of say that sort of life's been a bit of a disappointment ever since really. Right. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, it didn't live up to that, you know, that, that imagination there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we've grown up, we've grown up with intelligent robots, C3PO, um, yeah. R2D2, yeah. uh, you know, and, and they've been, uh, you know, co-workers, collaborators, um, you know, friends, uh, you know, from that, uh, that, that early time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, the, the, the term artificial intelligence, you know, has evolved to, you know, towards this sort of super intelligence meme. Um, obviously, Ray Kurzweil's Singularity, Singularity is Near mm. book um, from around, you know, 2006 again, I think. Um, uh, uh, maybe we can just cut some of this back but um mm -hmm. yeah I, I i've got a very distinct memory i sort of became aware in the 90s of what seemed like this acceleration of change right it's that every year computers were getting faster you'd heard of moore's law mm -hmm. um but you know the software on them was going faster as well mm -hmm. um and i sort of internalized that myself but i thought i was you know anyone there wasn't really anyone to talk to mm -hmm. about it um even people in the industry you know weren't really in, I don't think internalizing that acceleration. And so I, um, it was this revelation when someone said, oh, do you agree with what Kurzweil says then? Um, and uh, and then they get into, actually handed me this sort of big hardback singularity as near um, uh, book. And I sort of read that uh, back to back in a couple of days. And it was it was a sort of epiphany that like, not only did someone sort of agree with some of that thinking, it was, it was back in the mid-2000s, right? You're just crazy if you're thinking, well, computers are going to accelerate and machines are going to become more intelligent than humans, right. um, which, which which was the hypothesis then. I don't necessarily... Um, I, I've got some thoughts on, in that space. But if you'd you know, said that, you, you were sort of thought to be a bit, um, uh, you know, unconventional. Mm. Um, and it was a revelation that, you know, somebody else has been thinking that stuff. And, they, and he'd thought it through um you know in much more depth and with much more rigor um and so yeah that gave me a lot of confidence to to continue investigating um I, and i think i just uh, you know kurtzfeld describes himself as a student of technology change um i think for me i have an anticipatory sense i i can um by understanding the, the rate of change and the rate of acceleration mm -hmm. i think it's it feels more native to me that some of the changes as they're happening and it helps to interpret you know the changing world around us mm. in ways that you know often there's people talk about future shock um but i as i say i'm a person with my head in the future all the time and so mm -hmm. in some ways it's like it's always taking too long to get there right yeah, yeah. but it sounds like you've got a positive spin on the future which is mm. which is a good thing i think but there is that negative side as well in terms of terminator you know like how in 2001 a space odyssey and kind of yeah. there's the sinister side as well um, yeah, which, and is, I, which I, is through the popular culture. It is through popular culture. Um, I think, you know, we um, anthropomorphize machines. And mm. so, um, you know, humans are the, you know, the, the result of, um, you know, four and a half billion years of random evolution, biological evolution. Mm. And we've ended up like we are with, you know, a head and two arms, and two legs. Um, it's, you know, machines are not constrained by the same evolutionary algorithm. Um and and so it's very unlikely that you know they, they would um you know have a humanoid form or um even like you know the biological um instincts that, that we've inherited mm. um i you know the example i used in a blog post a few years ago was that there are currently you know four and a half quadrillion um uh, termites on the planet uh, and you know they, they we just leave them alone right right you know unless we want to build a dam in the valley that they've got their nest or they decide to nest in one of our houses when then we just coexist quite happily and you know we're, we're not really interested in them aware of them and they're certain they would have as much you know understanding of what a human's thinking as mm. possibly what a human might think of some super intelligence that is 
you know, quite possibly going to be far more interested in getting away and exploring the other side of the galaxy than mm. sticking around and competing with um, mm. uh, with meat bodies. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fascinating. And the fun thing about this, like we're recording it in 2019. Yes. We'll, we'll probably listen to this and hopefully with a glass of wine, you know, in 20 years from now. Yeah. And just looking back at the moment in time as as we're talking now because both of us having grown up sort of you know star wars and the future yeah, and the yeah. like um what's it going to be like a hundred years from now when people listen back and say well, look at what they were talking about at that point what they were worried about what they thought was coming you know i think that will be really interesting oh it's fascinating and look there are um inflection points coming um mm. and i you know and i'm not rose tinted about um you know the the impact of the change, but I think if you go and look at, um, there's a great website um, that's called Our World and Data, um, which just basically shows visualizations of socioeconomic data um, going back, you know, decades. Um, right. And you know, on many measures, um, you know, sort of diseases, um, uh, life expectancy. Uh, immunization rates, um, ed, you know, education for females. Uh, mm. It's, you know, around the world, things are getting like better and better and better. Mm. You know, other measures such as, you know, the environmental impact of mm. um, 7 billion humans and, and climate change, you know, they're clearly not. But um, on many, many metrics, you know, um, technology has enabled better well being um, for, for humanity. Um, and so, you know, my, my sense uh, is that, you know, these new information technologies, including artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, are, you know, very similar to those other general purpose technologies, such as, mm. you know, the combustion engine or uh, the Internet itself, which have actually, you know, generated, um, you know, vast amounts of uh, improved well-being, um, you know, measured in things like life expectancy and, and uh, economic productivity. Um, but, uh, but, but they're also, you know, likely to actually create as much work, um, as, uh, you know, gets automated, um, mm. in the future. Mm. So as somebody who's got your head in the future, yeah. um, I'd love to talk about the report because yeah. there is a whole bunch here. Can we just start with just looking at AI? And I thought it was really interesting how there was kind of a distinction between narrow AI and was it AGI, artificial uh, general, general intelligence? intelligence yeah. Can you just talk us through that, just just briefly? But yeah, uh, so yeah. so this really goes back to that um, popularization of mm-hmm. computers being able to do everything that human humans can do, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about um, uh, artificial intelligence, we really need to just you know look at today's use cases. And um, today, machines can you know see very accurately, right? They can. Um, you can give the, um, a um, machine learning algorithm a, a, an image, and it can detect an object in it. And you can mm. and f- facial recognition, for example, mm. um, you know, really speeds up the way we go through passport control. Mm. Um, uh, but that's a narrow application, right? Mm. So computers are really good at playing chess, and recently, you know, playing Go um, and StarCraft. Actually, you know, there's some examples in, in the report of mm. just how far you know computers have been able to. Um, uh, outplay humans, you know, in very narrow defined domains. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that that's a narrow application. And so, you know, a self a, a, an algorithm that that you know is designed to drive a car um, is not going to be able to go out there and compose the works of Shakespeare, for example, and and vice versa. And so, each of those uh, those narrow use cases um, 
are really, you know, what what um, uh, machine intelligence is able to do today. Mm. When we talk about artificial general intelligence, and we're assuming that um, computers are going to be able to do everything that humans can do, um, and at least as well as humans. So not just you know, so computers are better things some things are adding up mm-hmm. uh you know and feature extraction out of images um they can work 24 7 you know they, they don't require breaks so they can do a lot of things better than us mm-hmm. but that general um understanding across there right now that's that's not something that computers can do um and then you know we talk a little bit about it in the report there that you know there's a uh, a vibrant debate about you know if and when um that that would be possible, but certainly uh, we'd be talking decades. I think is the consensus mm. um, of a lot there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we won't be able to go into all of the report, but there were some bits that really stuck out to me, and I'd just be curious about your interpretation of them. And go for it, yeah. one of the things was, and I thought it was really well done. There was a lot of um, references to Te Ao Maori yes. perspective, right. and and you know it it was clearly had informed the thinking is that we need to think about this in a in a really sensitive way as well in terms of what does it mean for other ways of looking at the world how did that come about i guess or so so it's been part of um the forum's uh, strategy over the last couple of years has mm-hmm. been to um you know understand the opportunities and the impacts of ai on, on new zealand as a whole and obviously um mm-hmm. on uh, TR, uh the maori population and and mm-hmm. um and how does our Maori um, actually, you know, flow through to some of these these opportunities mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and and applications of of the technology, um, and so you know we've we've um, started to you know include obviously to translations of some of the concepts there. We've introduced the term mm-hmm. Atomai Iehiko, which mm-hmm. translates as electrical intelligence, but yeah. uh, as a, um, a you know a uh, translation of, of AI. Um, I think there are important questions on uh, diversity. So one of the things that we note is the diversity in the um, AI workforce. Uh, there's a lack of uh, of women and of Maori and Pacifica uh, representation there, and that's something that we need to um, you know work on to ensure that uh, you know first of all the the opportunities are shared fairly, um, but also just to make sure that there isn't a sort of groupthink. Um, and unrepresentative uh, approach to when these technologies are actually, you know, mm. applied and developed. Mm. Um, and then I think the other very important area that we looked at was, um, uh, well, probably two more in in, in this area. Um, the the first was uh, understanding the concept of married data sovereignty, right? And and, and I'm not a lawyer, and I don't, mm. I'm, I'm not, you know. Uh, still learning a lot of this myself, but um, you know the, the the treaty principles and how does that apply to um, you know data sovereignty? Because you know data is the fuel that fuels a lot of machine learning. Mm. Um, and then you know the third piece there is is the opportunities. Um, and so there's a number of um, you know uh, Maori entrepreneurs that are working in AI. Um, in particular, um, uh, Steve Saunders and the team up at uh, Robotics Plus uh, in Bay of Plenty. Have been doing um, amazing work uh, in agricultural robotics, um, mm. and so you know, with you know the iwi up and down the the, the country, you know, with the investments that they have in um, in agriculture and in ag- in land, mm. you know, what are the opportunities for them to invest in these technologies and to you know make 
people we sometimes talk about sort of the, the dull dirty dangerous jobs mm-hmm. that that are you know for example um you know fruit picking or you know working in, in with in dangerous environments mm-hmm. with you know uh, forestry machinery how can we you know use artificial intelligence intelligent robotics drones to you know create um safer working environments and actually generate economic wealth by and improve productivity of those businesses so mm-hmm. uh, i'd like to say that you know and i think we we, we do talk about it quite mm-hmm. a lot in the report there that you know there's an opportunity here for um the public and private and university and ewe partnerships yeah um to invest uh in you know the, the this infrastructure of the future mm. and and that's another thing that really stuck out to me is it it is future focused, which of course it's, <laughs> it has to be, but the reality, and I'm speaking as a lawyer, is yeah. that laws get passed at certain moments in time, and when they're passed, maybe they're appropriate, but as things change, as technology comes and develops, maybe they're no longer fit for purpose. So I'm just curious, um, from your perspective, sort of what do you think this change or this shift in the importance of AI is going to do? Like, what what are we going to need in terms of regulatory change and um, ways of thinking about um, AI in the future? Um, so, so it does have a number of regulatory implications. Um, and, you know, as I say, the the technology itself, um, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, the, from what I've seen, uh, it's going to be quite difficult to regulate the technology because the technology can be applied in, mm. you know, beneficial ways or potentially in mal- uh, malicious ways. Mm. Um, and you know, for and then there are questions around you know um, how it is applied. And you know, the the main example probably is the Cambridge Analytica Facebook right. um, issues that arose last year, where you know the the what um, the the uses to which this technology, this this um, very accurate prediction modeling um, and targeting of um, voters. You know, to which it, what extent was that used, and then was used to then uh, you know change people's minds. So it's very you know laser targeted mm-hmm. profile um, profiling of uh, of uh, electors, and then to you know target them with very personalised advertisements mm-hmm. that uh, you know were designed to change that you know the vote that they put mm-hmm. in. Um, the the you know and and Facebook have changed. Um, some of their you know tools and systems now so you've got 360 degree transparency on the ads that are running mm. um and so you know maybe that is um a tool that that, that helps to, to solve that um you know we look at the massive investment that's happened both in the us and china and you know the, there are very different political regimes there and legal regimes around data privacy um and so how does one reconcile you know the attitudes in the west towards facial recognition to how it's you know um, being used and deployed in in china and is there will there be a sort of a global consensus that arises out of that Mm -hmm. Um, or will you end up with a sort of bifurcation of the internet and the regulatory regimes Mm -hmm. you know around it so Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting question it's there's a um an enormously um uh, involved debate and and you know no, large number of voices internationally um, mm. and in New Zealand that are that are contributing to it um, you know on you know the the I guess the ethical principles and the um, the ethics of how this technology is um, is deployed into society uh, and then what the impacts of that will have on mm. regulation and the law after yeah. that 
and it's it's a complicated mix, isn't it? Because you've got all the national, the sovereignty of the nations and what they want to do. And in terms of a strategy for AI, like from the government's perspective or something like that, it kind of it kind of gets hinted at in here. Um, but what what would be your take? So so in we terms we put of out what's our, needed or not needed. Yeah. Or, um, so last year we put out our first report, um, shaping a future New Zealand, mm-hmm. and that, and this was you know very the main call there was for. Um, active investment, uh, you know, by the by the government um, mm-hmm. in uh, a national AI strategy, and then we've gone deeper into that. And so, mm. countries all around the world, right, our peer countries, um, uh, you know, so not not just the USA and China, which is the vast bulk of AI investment that's mm. happened, but um, countries like Canada, countries like uh, UK, Singapore, Taiwan, um, Denmark, you know, to name uh, just a few. I think we we itemised about twenty in the report mm. um, have. You know, put together um, multi-million, sometimes hundreds of millions, sometimes billion-dollar um, uh, AI investment strategies, and these focus on areas like uh, you know research, um, mm-hmm. on education, skills development, uh, understanding the impact on the future of work, um, and uh, and then general under, you know public understanding as well. As um, Finland's got a great example of a. Um, online course elements of ai uh, which is free to take anyone around the world can take it actually um but the finnish government is aiming to you know skill up one percent of their population um which is not dissimilar populations to to new zealand Mm -hmm. um uh in you know the basics basic understanding of ai and then how can they take that into their jobs um into the into the roles that they're doing and into into society um and so you know the the in our report here we continue to think that this would be a good thing for New Zealand is that um, some coordination around investment and you know public investment um, into uh, you know AI research I was talking earlier you know robotics for example how can we apply AI into our agriculture sector mm-hmm. how can we um, uh, apply you know AI and uh, create a predictive model of tourist movements around New Zealand mm-hmm. um, in a way that benefits you know uh, New Zealand and not maybe offshore uh, tourism aggregators, um, you know the Airbnbs, the Booking.coms, who, you know, have got better data mm-hmm. and better algorithms, and are hence able to, you know, predict prices and and you know um, set the pricing in a way that takes that margin offshore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there are a number of opportunities that um, uh, that that we see, and I think, you know, it, it's it's not just for government. I mean, so business is is investing, and actually, you know, a number of um, uh, businesses, Spark, uh, ANZ is another one, um, who've been, you know, actually saying their investments in uh, AI, you know, particularly process automation, robotic process automation, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have actually started yielding, you know, um, efficiency results and, mm-hmm. and, um, and you know, financial results as well. Because mm-hmm. it really is about the ability to take vast quantities of data and crunch it yeah. and, and predict trends and and um because i'm thinking like the the tourism example is a Mm. great one right like to know that if somebody flies into auckland and flies out of queenstown you know how do they make their way down the island what is it that they stop at and like i can imagine that type of data would be really fascinating for tourism operators absolutely and it just doesn't exist in in the tourism sector here um there's uh, a number of players are curious as a um data company and and data analytics company and, and they they um, tried to create a bit of a data um, analytics service for the tourism industry but it, um, I you know I think it's something that, that that tourism sector is one of our major 
industries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it would really improve the visitor experience. Um, so, you know, so as a visitor, you know, how do I know when a particular mm-hmm. um, venue is going to be overcrowded? Uh, how do I time up time up booking? It would just enable you know better information all around for operators and for tourists. Um, mm-hmm. the, the way that data is shared, uh, personal data and commercial data. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the, there's quite a number of steps that we need to take. Um, you know, to to ensure that there is you know, fair and transparent use. Uh, and not everyone agrees on what that would be. By mm-hmm. the way, um, and you know, one of the concepts we introduce is um, uh, the, that of a data trust. Which is effectively a trustee for, you know, data from multiple sources um, to, you know, deliver collective outcomes, like I was talking about. So if you, if there was a national predictive model of, um, you know, tourist movements around the country, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, we knew that um, Elton John was playing in Dunedin, you know, next weekend, and so you'd be able to, you know, predict, um, uh, you know, uh, the number of people, for example, um, uh, traveling there. Uh, you know, is, as a national asset, there, you know, is there, could there be a legal structure which manages all of those concerns around, you know, the commercial uh, sensitivity um, mm-hmm. of each individual contributor, uh, the uh, privacy of each individual whose data is in there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I th- I'm optimistic that there is a solution to it, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I think this type of report, and like I say, we'll, we'll put a link so people can find out where to get it in the right. show notes and stuff. Yep. But I think it does help to break down some of the barriers of understanding. And I think for, you know, because I'm kind of in this sector, like I'm actively looking at this type of report, I think there's also a vast quantity of population who it is still in the realms of sci-fi, and it's a scary thing. And so this type of report helps to educate, doesn't it? Well, we it? hope it. I mean, that's the, 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 you know, one of our main aims was, you know, to provide a, an accessible overview, yeah. um, an entry point mm. to, you know, some of the main things that are of importance to, you know, we think are of importance to a, um, to New Zealand, you know, mm. with this technology. And, you know, to, to put um, a, you know, to, to em- emphasize the, um, opportunities as much as well as the threats you know, mm. so often a lot of the threats um get a, a you know a lot of the airtime yeah. um but you know we talk about opportunity you know we put it in a well-being framework but opportunities for you know massively in improved health outcomes just things like cancer screening um just improving the efficiency and productivity of our health system mm-hmm. um you know and we've actually got a another report that's uh, in the pipeline that's really going to look at ai in the health sector right. um, and you know what where are some of the real you know early places that we can invest there yeah um we talk about environmental impacts i, I love the cacophony project mm-hmm. um here in christchurch who are using ai you know to look at how we can you know get rid of invasive pests yeah um yeah. great uh, work yeah. yeah that's brilliant um yeah. and you know and using these you know it's, it's crowdsourced open source uh, yeah. uh mechanisms to do that yeah. Um, and that's the fun thing is that there is quite a few case studies through yeah. the thing, right? <laughs> yeah, not, we, well, we've tried to illustrate um, yeah. <laughs> the real, you know, how is AI actually being used? Air New Zealand, for example, predictive yeah. maintenance, right? Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're able to manage the, you know, the, all the engineering that they're doing there is, um, uh, you know, is being made more efficient by, mm. you know, that, that ability to take all the engineering data they've gathered over the years mm-hmm. and then use that to predict, yeah, we probably need to go and look at, you know, that plane over there mm. tomorrow or something. Um, the other example we put in there um, was uh, around road deaths. Um, and so, you know, we, we have a, um, 
you know, this, this increasing road toll mm-hmm. uh, here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there is the opportunity that we see is to take the, the data on, you know, traffic flows, weather, you know, time of the day, where are the emergency services vehicles positioned, mm-hmm. um, uh, what, what car is it, what is, what is the visibility, and then use that to, you know, create a much more precise, much more granular mm-hmm. predictive model of, uh, you know, road accident prediction. Um, and we've actually, there's an example in Las Vegas in Nevada where they actually used a, this approach and they brought um, road accidents down by 17%. Mm. And so, you know, can we do that in New Zealand? And that would be, you know, not far short of 100 lives with the current road toll. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, you can definitely see application for things like traffic flows and mm. um, congestion at certain parts of the city and mm. knowing how crowds act in in terms of driving behaviors and things well yeah and you can put that in the hands of of the driver right so mm-hmm. um not literally obviously not with the but uh mm-hmm. you know it's the ways that you can be alerted as a driver that you know the you're driving into the sun mm-hmm. it's you know six o'clock in the evening right um you know there have been you, you have a 92 percent higher chance than you would normally of a high ex- of a of an accident right time to slow down um you know, the, those sorts of, um, you know, quite relatively simple data solutions yeah. are, you know, enabled by AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we see that relative to, um, you know, the, the high investment that's needed for, f- you know, physical road safety measures, which are clearly obviously needed as well. Mm. But, you know, this, this is relatively low um, investment quantum. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we should really explore some of those, you know, low-hanging opportunities, I think. Mm, yeah, that's good. The interesting thing for me is that when I talk about AI, sometimes people automatically jump to the, um, the what you talked about, the sort of the, you know, the human consciousness yes. immediately. Yes. And I think you know this, I helped with Andre Link to set up a, a chatbot, yeah, which yeah. is like a legal chatbot. Mm. And the, the purpose was I got back in 2016 and, you know, the inefficiencies of being a lawyer is that you spend a vast quantity of time in the initial consultation, and then it's you realize that they actually need to talk to an employment lawyer or someone else. So the idea was that the chatbot can help interact with people yep. um, and, and pull out, extract information from them. And so it's been a really fun journey to work on that. But it's amazing when I start to describe it, people immediately jump to, oh, you're replacing lawyers, you know, that the chatbot. Yeah, aug- augmenting. <laughs> I mean, it's augmenting. Like augmenting, say, so yeah. It's really um, enabling the, you know, the relatively repetitive process-driven, exactly. um, yeah. you know, uh, low value yeah. um work and what's and, your name what's your phone yeah. number what's your <laughs> what's the yeah. issue and then connecting with the right person right absolutely like, and and uh, you know the, it's a generational thing as well like so mm-hmm. um you know my experience is that younger generation actually prefer a you know non-face-to-face interact you know online digital interaction mm-hmm. uh, because it is more efficient and it and it's um you know they're able to navigate it easier mm. yeah no i agree but the the funny thing for me is as soon as i start talking about it many times people immediately jump to oh you're building a robot you know mm-hmm. like a really super smart that it would probably take a hundred million dollars to build you know that that would be able to answer every nuanced question that yeah. I might have. And, and, and that's, you know, that gap between, um, you know, public perception and reality. Mm. Um, you know, we, that's, we're trying to contribute to, you mm. know, bridging that gap. Um, 
and you know just being positive about the fact that these are, are just new tools yeah. that we can use to make ourselves more produ- uh, productive and efficient in fact the productivity commission um just put a, a draft report out a couple of days ago um on you know the impact of technology mm-hmm. and uh, the future of work mm-hmm. um and you know which, which was you know everyone's expecting the, exactly what you're saying that mm-hmm. you know it's going to put us out, all out of work mm-hmm. but actually the conclusion there is that um you know, New Zealand actually doesn't have enough technology change and adoption, and that we, in order to be more productive, um, we actually need to, you know, get, get more technology investment um, yeah. under our belts. Uh, you know, and personally, I, I just always feel it creates more work because I, I can't keep up with my inbox right. anymore. Right? And so, <laughs> new digital technologies—they they don't, um, you know, they, they, for for me personally, I don't think they're ever going to give us a three-day week yeah, um, yeah life of leisure i think there's just going to be continually going to be on the beach and yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and well there's yeah. And there are benefits you know in terms of the flexibility that we've got um uh compared to what we used to have you know used to mm. you know just leave the office and that was it but then yeah. you know you n- often you can move things at a much faster cycle rate mm. um and get that flexibility as well so yeah, yeah. So you talked about at the beginning, I asked you about your past and you said, I'm in the future. So we're, let's go there in the future. Like we're, we are 10 years from now, say like a foreseeable horizon. Yes. What sort of things do you think the 10 years from now that will be sort of well understood or adopted or will have changed? I mean, they've got the, um, at the Christchurch International Airport, they've got the, the bus that's driver, yeah. you know, driver. Autonomous, bus, autonomous vehicles of, is the one that people, um, you know, really do think. I mean, uh, it's a difficult problem to solve mm. while you've still got humans on the road, mm. um, because humans are, um, you know, relatively unpredictable. Um, but they're making, you know, significant inroads into that, you know, autonomous, um, uh, you know, machines to 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 drive on the roads. Mm. Um, I think it it'll come. Whether it's in ten years, I don't know. I mean, if you think it's only ten years since the, you know, just over ten years since the iPhone yeah, came amazing, out, and so you know, there's a lot of technology that you you don't always see coming mm-hmm. that is actually quite um, revolutionary. Um, I, you know, there's there's a lot of hype around blockchain and cryptocurrency that um, has obviously, you know, they're now gone into the um, trough of despond. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm relatively optimistic that there's some um, you know, very interesting use cases for um, you know decentralized com- computation and and, mm. um, and crypto. That uh, you know, th- there's a number of um, innovators and inve- uh, venture capital firms around the world that are you know investing deeply in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, whether we'll see, you know, Facebook have talked about their Libra cryptocurrency coming through. Whether we'll see, you know, that or uh, others come through that enable you know financial transactions mm. costless um uh, cross-border you know no transaction fees yeah uh, you know i think that that will um have an effect i think you know what i would like to see is um you know a and we're starting to see it but you know the reframing of the default um you know, capitalist free market system that we that we operate in. So you know, it's called the master algorithm in many mm-hmm. ways, which you know really does structure you know a lot of um, our lives. And you know, what are the the iterations we can do on that to build in um, you know the externalities around the environment, the externalities around uh, you know social inequality to to build that into those those systems so they are actually accounted for. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, I think that technology's got a role to play there as much as politics. Mm, yeah. My hope, or what I think, um, just putting my own predicting head on, you mentioned health. You know, mm. I think, think about the vast quantity of data in a human body. And if you could crunch the numbers and predict, you know, predictive, this is probably going to be an issue for you. And let's take some measures now to help so yeah. that it isn't an issue. Um, I think that would be really a good use. Yeah, I mean that that exponential advance that we're, um, uh, you know, that, that we were talking about, you know, really does have some quite profound implications in health and mm. for people, you know, younger than us. There's a time uh, very near where for every year that they live, their life expectancy goes up by more than a year, mm. um, and that's you know has profound implications. And I think you know we we probably are underestimating you know the life our life expectancies you know on, on aggregate mm. um uh, and you know that that has uh, you know real um implications now for you know well you know halfway to 100 you know yeah. well you know if your life expectancy is 150 then you've got to plan out you know you know definitely not retiring retire at 65 right? <laughs> um and you know and then society has to well, factor that in too. and that's some interesting stats isn't it if yeah. you look at mortality rates like 80 years ago i was looking and um you know people didn't live that long no. compared to what we just assume is standard yes you know it was literally you know if, if you made it to 75 you were pretty elderly you know like compared to yep. now it's kind of like oh well, you're 75 and, and in you know rude health yeah, um, you know, there's this guys running, you know, Ironman yeah. at 75, right? Yeah, um, that'll be us one day, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can hope. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's really good. Um, well, I really appreciate your coming in and chatting with me because it's just it's helpful. The report's great, but it's good also to talk about it oh, and appreciate the you know, opportunity, Steve. Yeah. Have it go out as well. And I wanted to give a shout out to your daughter Maya as well. Oh yes, because <laughs> this is a kind of a cool story though. Because yeah. I tweeted that um, there's a researcher Ching Ching B at, at University of Canterbury who's analyzing all of the seeds podcast episodes and obviously there's a lot of data there now because this there's 125 or something and so to transcribe them is a big task and so i said we need some help with transcribing you know paid position <laughs> and um and you saw it and yeah you no and passed pass it on to uh maya who's uh, doing her big home down in otago um, and she's yeah she's been uh, happily transcribing away so yeah yeah, yeah. so a big shout out to her and a thank <laughs> you to this her. one yeah. <laughs> thank you thanks yeah. for the opportunity yeah 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 no it's all good um, but yeah I just want to say thanks for coming in and what we'll do is we'll put some links in the show notes and then Great. people can click through like just want to say thanks so much for coming and uh -huh. having a chat that's a pleasure thanks David. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben. I know for me there were several things that stood out, and I just love that interesting perspective thinking about artificial intelligence, and I do wonder what people listening to this podcast in a hundred years will think of our theories and what it was going to turn into. Until next time!